Hello and welcome to another edition of IDS Talks. My name is Hunter McMahon. I'm the COO of IDS and I'm joined here today by Neil Weinrich of Berman, Fink and Van Horn. Today, we're going to have a great conversation about non-competes, the favorite topic of many. Now, before we get started, Neil, will you give us a brief intro, sir? Yeah, absolutely. Hunter, thanks for having me on today. Again, my name is Neil Weinrich. Uh, I'm a shareholder with Berman, Fink, Van Horn in Atlanta. Uh, I'm a commercial litigator, but uh, a heavy part of my practice is focused on not competes, other restrictive covenants, trade secret law, unfair competition issues, uh, help companies and individuals kind of navigate uh, transitioning from one company to another when a company's hiring someone and needs advice regarding a non-compete or they have have an employee leave and need advice regarding uh, that company's obligations. Uh, that's kind of where I step in. And uh, excited to chat with you about what's going on in the non-compete world today. Awesome. And for the our listeners, a fun factoid about Neil and I is we actually first met about six years ago when he happened to help me navigate some non-compete obligations I had at the time. So it's fun to uh, be collaborating now, Neil, instead of having to seek your advice. No, no offense. Absolutely. A lot of clients tell me that. <laughs> Very nice. So Neil, we, we've, we've all heard of it, the changing landscape of non-competes, what the FTC is proposing. Give us a quick summary. What, what does everybody need to know about the landscape right now? Yeah, it's definitely inter- interesting times in the non-compete world, Hunter. Um, if you kind of go back the last uh, 10 years or so, really the, you know, the linchpin perhaps for what we're ultimately seeing today is the, the Jimmy John's case that we all read about in the news. Uh, I think it was 2014, you had Jimmy John's was making uh, college students and other Jimmy John's employees sign a non-compete that said they wouldn't work within uh, three miles of not just any Jimmy John's location where they worked, but any Jimmy John's location anywhere in the world. And uh, not surprisingly, you know, that was viewed by um Attorney generals, both in Illinois and New York, as um, you know, abusive and um, you know, concerned for um, you know labor and you know, bad for bad, bad for um, consumers and and bad for everybody. And yeah, and that was really the first time that non-competes really kind of were in the public spotlight, where you had you know the Wall Street Journal and New York Times kind of writing about non-competes. And since then, we've seen um, you know, both at the state level and to some degree at the federal level, attention giving, given to how can um, you know, legislative or administrative bodies address the issue of the abuse of non-competes. Because uh, that, that what the Jimmy John's issue did is it laid bare for the public that, and, and a lot of people that have been asked to sign non-competes know this, and there are companies out there that are using non-competes when it's probably not appropriate to do so. I think we could all agree that the sandwich worker at Jimmy John's does not, it's not warranted for that that employee to be subject to a non-compete. There's no secret sauce about how to spread the mayo on a roast beef sandwich. So from the Jimmy John's saga, we've got, um, during the Obama administration, you had working groups that came into the White House and, you know, Treasury report that kind of talked about the the increased prevalence of not compete and the negative impacts that has for the labor workforce. Um, you still have um, agencies kind of taking a look at this issue. Some additional workshops during the Trump administration. Uh, once Biden gets elected, his platform 
um, you know, expressly mentions um, addressing the overuse of non-competes, except in the limited instance where they're used to protect trade secrets. And um, the Biden administration, you know, issues an executive order directing the Federal Trade Commission to tackle this issue. The FTC has some additional workshops. And then ultimately this uh, this January, really two things happened. First, the FTC announced um, that it had entered into consent orders with several companies that it had investigated for using non-competes. And then the day after, we all kind of heard about these enforcement actions, which that caught everybody's surprise. The FTC announced that it was issuing a proposed rule that would effectively be a uh, complete ban on non-compete agreements, um, especially in the employment context. So that's really kind of what's going on at the federal administrative level. And at the same time, um, one kind of product of the um, workshop during Obama administration was effectively a call to action to the states saying, you know, here are some of the abuses that are going on, not to being used with low-wage workers. There's a lot of kind of fairness problems that employees are, you know, the non-competes being stuck in an agreement that's on the uh, the pile of documents that they have to sign on the first day of work after they've sold their house in Detroit and, you know, moved down to Tampa, Florida. They're like, wait a minute, no one told me about that I was going to be subject to a, a non-compete agreement. Um, so just these kinds of issues of fairness, the um, this call to action, it was encouraging. The idea was to encourage states to tackle these issues. And in the last, you know, five to seven to eight years, you've seen a lot of activity at the state level uh, where more states are, um, you know, take, addressing these issues and passing legislation that um, either reduces the uh, categories of employees that, um you depending on the wages can be subject to not competes um, or imposes requirements such as notice requirements or additional consideration requirements that are designed to make uh, not competes fairer. But um, the FTC has now jumped in and you know issued this proposed ban, which would you know, go beyond kind of where all this most current states are in terms of banning non competes. So uh, if we go back though, and, and the purpose of a non compete. I'm gonna I'm gonna come at it from a business perspective, not necessarily a legal perspective. In essence, I wanted to protect what I had built, and you had come in and benefited from from a wage standpoint. If you knew how to do something in a secret way that I now I had created, and I didn't want you to be able to go down the street and in essence take that knowledge, that trade secret, that proprietary information, and use it for a competitor. For their advantage, right? So that there was a business interest there. What is the is the FTC coming in and saying we get it, but they've been abused so much that absent exception, there's not something that you should be able to protect from a compete status. Yeah. So the FTC's ban goes far. You know, like I said, it's nearly a it is a effectively a complete ban on all non competes in the employment context. Um, so even that, and the CEO of Coca-Cola that obviously has trade secret from highly sensitive competitive information about you know, business strategies, business plans, marketing strategies, or you know the 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 R and D person at a um, a biotech company that is working kind of on the the cutting edge of some proprietary research that is obviously kind of critical. It's in um, you know, that, that company's, um, 
business plans and future, future revenue and profitability. The FTC is effectively disregarding those considerations and saying, you know, we think at the end of the day that um, non-competes are you know, bad for the economy, that they're bad for um, the labor workforce and labor mobility, and that um, you know, the competitive market is will be better if non-competes are taken out of them. So now, obviously- now, real quick on clarification, just to make sure that we're we're talking the same language. You know, I talked about confidential information. You mentioned trade secrets, proprietary information. The non-compete just says you can go across the street and work. It does not say the ban on non-competes does not say that you can take this information and go across the street and work. Though that information is still protected. Yeah, that's correct. So a a, a non-compete just says you can't. You can't go work for a competitor. You can't set up your competing business. Um, you know, typically these types of agreements have separate non-disclosure covenants that say you can't take the, the confidential information. You can't take the customer list. And obviously, there's you know federal and state trade secret laws that prevent, uh, protect against, and prevent um, restrict employees from taking information that um, rises to the level of a trade secret. Um, what a lot of companies would say is that the non-compete serves as a, a prophylactic for preventing trade secret theft that is, or confidential information that that is you know, difficult to identify. Right, the high-level executive that um, is intimately involved with you know, the company's most secret, sensitive plans. Uh, you know that executive. If they go to the competitor down the street, you know they may have all the good intentions in the world, but it's really hard to keep the tea based in the bottle, right? All that, all that sensitive information that's that's in their head. If they're in a role that is similar uh, for a competing company, then um, it's 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 difficult to not use the um, confidential information or trade secret information that they've agreed to. Per- not to because use. At, because at that point it's knowledge. It's not necessarily a document that they may have taken the formula on a on a on a spreadsheet or on a, a literally written on a card or something to that effect. It, it it is the knowledge in their head. So how can they not think about it? Exactly. It's that that intangible information that even though it's not reduced to a file or a document, it still could be having proprietary and sensitive and competitively advantageous. But one of the things you said earlier that that is interesting is that this seems to be a a way of bringing federal or, or across state lines commonality as to the standards as opposed to state by state. Because I know for many years, if I just looked at coastal and said, well, Georgia is very different than California, as you and I discussed six years ago, uh, it, it is very different or it has been historically is that the primary purpose to the Uh-oh. FTC's proposed band insofar as now we can bring everything to a common resolution? Yeah, I think the FTC is looking to create some uniformity. Um, the I think from the FTC's perspective, it's more about this is the way it should be. We think that the way California is doing it is the right way and that you know, there's only a few other states like California that do have um, complete bans on non-competes. 
And the FTC has, has concluded that that's essentially what's good for, for everybody. Um, I don't know that the FTC has uniformity in mind as a you know, specific objective, but obviously when you've got a federal law or federal regulation, um, the result of that is, um, you know, you end up with uniformity on an area, something like this. Well, especially as a lot of companies have gone remote and more distributed, I can imagine that that, that eases some of the, well, what do I do in this state versus that state pains from a business standpoint, but it did strike it down or it does propose to strike it down all in its entirety. So I guess you got to take the good and the bad. Definitely. And and that is a challenge for organizations that have employees in multiple jurisdictions is, you know, how do you draft restrictive covenants that are going to be enforced against the employees in Washington? And what do you do about the employees in California? But Florida allows more liberal enforcement. So do you treat those employees differently? And, you know, how dealing with that and managing that within an organization coupled with the fact that you know, these laws are changing on a weekly, monthly basis, particularly since the FTC introduced this ban, there's just a host of um, states that are considering new knock-feet legislation. And, um, you know, so things are, things are changing by, by the day, by the week, and that's challenging for organizations and even their lawyers to and keep up with all the changes that need to be considered when you want to make sure that you're not tripping up and stepping in a landmine and using a knock peat when you're not supposed to. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, is this something that companies need to be proactively evaluating now, or is it more of a wait until it comes up kind of scenario? It's a great question, Hunter. Um, you know, right now the ban is just a, the proposed ban, it's a proposed rule and it goes through the, the, the process that any proposed regulation goes through. So there's a, originally there was a 60 day comment period. Um, this particular rule has gotten a lot of attention and they've extended the comment period by 30 days. Last I checked, they've gotten over 20,000 comments. So it's going to take some time for the, the agency to, um, process that review. All Somebody's that. got some weekend reading. No kidding. I, I don't envy the uh, the stampers at the FTC that have to mine their way through lots and lots of comments, some of which are um, you know, just members of the public that may have been had a negative experience with non-competes that you know, they write in a paragraph, and you know, some of those are um, you know, highly robust comments, very substantive from um, you know, trade organizations on both sides of the of the aisle on this that you know have. And views that have kind of laid out the reasons for why this is good or why this is this is bad. So it, there's there's got to be some period of time before we know whether there's a final rule if it looks different than the existing rule. Um, there's certainly some aspects of the rule that the FTC has explicitly said that it's you know, interested in receiving comments on, and it may um, may take a different approach when it issues a final rule. Um, so I do think you know there's a the things that I think companies need to sort of immediately do while this rule is out there is make sure that they're not using non-competes with um, low-wage workers, with you know individuals, types of employees that are going to 
potentially subject them to the um, the kinds of enforcement actions that we've seen from the the FTC. Um, you know, that's I think the the biggest takeaway in terms of kind of what to do immediately is you know, don't put yourselves kind of in the crosshairs. I think as far as the you know what to do what to do right now about the proposed ban that's coming. Um, I think a lot of companies are going to take a wait and see approach because there is this sentiment that the FTC is going farther than it's allowed to do and that there's likely going to be legal challenges to the validity of the rule and that those challenges may end up being adjudicated before the compliance period that companies have to comply with the rule um, if it ends up going into effect. So what I'm taking away is be mindful Know where you stand with your current non-competes, because I know many may not have an active inventory or understand their various versions that have rolled out through the years, and understand where what what areas of compromise you might have to have. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, I think that's a, a very good summary. Um, I think I think you want to, yeah, again, just make sure that you're not. You don't want to be using non-competes with the employee that's making thirteen dollars an hour. Um, you know that's the that's the kind of thing that you know if the FTC worries about it, the FTC is probably going to have a problem with it. And do they have the bandwidth to uh, investigate and initiate an enforcement action against every company that is doing that? I mean, they may not, but I think companies that are the ones that maybe are are engaging in the the abuses that you know are really kind of meeting let let us to where we are you know those are the companies that should go ahead and kind of act cautiously now and yeah there's a there's other things that I'm happy to talk about that you know companies can be doing either in anticipation of of the ban going into effect or even if the ban doesn't go into effect perfect let's hear them yeah the the first one is you know, companies should, we've been saying this for a while, especially since there's a, there's been a federal law that allows companies to protect trade secrets using a federal statute. Companies should be taking steps to, you know, what are they doing to make sure that their most sensitive information is secure and protected, both from a, you know, an IT standpoint, from a training standpoint, from a culture standpoint, from, you know, legal documentation standpoint is if we end up in a world where we're not allowed to use non-competes, even with the you know, senior most executive that is making a, you know, eight-figure salary, um, you know, companies need to make sure that you know, the, the, the trained secret information is protected and that they're doing the kinds of things that will um, you know, allow them to still protect their, their information and their competitive interests um, if there's not non-competes, because what's happened in California, where you don't have non-competes, is there's more trade secret litigation in California than anywhere else, and um, you know, obviously non-competes are a tool that uh, companies use and companies have used to prevent prophylactically against trade secret theft, but if non-competes are are out the window. We're just going to see, um, you know, more and more trade secret litigation and trade secret disputes. Um, you know, the, the the cases that were non-compete cases, um, 
you know, those will, those will may very well end up being trade secrets cases. And you know, that's what happens a lot of days my, and the kinds of cases I handle is, you know, we learn that somebody is breaching their agreement by uh, working for a competitor. We engage IDS, someone on your team to do an analysis of, um, you know, that employee's computers and, or their emails. And lo and behold, we discover that, you know, not only are they violating their agreement, but they, you know, they copied, copied uh, everything from Salesforce or they, you know, copied their art driver, they emailed a bunch of documents to themselves. Users never do that, said nobody ever. That's, that's right. Um, <laughs> we see it all too often. I think the favorite, the favorite example of that one I like is somebody had labeled the folder on their desktop, take before you leave. That's a good one. I hadn't heard that one. That's uh, the definition of a smoking gun in a in a trade secret case, right? It was pretty uh, good. But but what you're saying in the in your first point is really make sure that you're you've got the ability to prove that you've secured your trade secrets before the incident in question, so that you're taking the proper measures. And you listed a bunch of them, whether it's a technological uh, security or whether it's training. Uh, culturally, you know, who had access to what so that you can prove that it was protected. Exactly. Yeah. And you want to make sure you have the right agreements in place. You want to make sure you've got you know, the security that you need. We have to go convince a court that this is sensitive information that the company treats like a trade secret. Um, that's, that's what, those are the kinds of steps that, you know, companies need to be taking. Obviously the goal is to prevent the information from leaving the organization um, but the secondary goal was to make sure that um, if we have to tell a court that, hey, this is sensitive information that um, shouldn't have been and is being used unfairly, it should never have been taken, the court's going to want to see that the company treated it like sensitive information. Most certainly. So what else can companies be doing? The other thing that I really think companies need to think about is the, the kinds of deals or contracts that companies enter into during this period where there's this uncertainty about whether there's going to be a broad non-compete ban, companies need to kind of have in the back of their head, you know, will I be happy with this deal that I'm doing if a non-compete ban goes into effect? So suppose a company executive um, is being paid you know, three quarters of a million dollars uh, they're leaving the organization, but they're going to have you know, essentially two years garden weave um, and a non-compete attached to that as part of their severance package. Um, you know, if the FTC issues a ban come uh, November, December, September, whenever it is, all of a sudden the company may have paid this substantial severance consideration uh, and no longer has the benefit of the non-compete that they uh, negotiated to get in paying that, you know, that, that large severance. Um, yeah, that's something that's, that's just an example. Another example is, and it's one thing we didn't really get a chance to talk about earlier is, you know, not only does the, the so the ban applies to all workers. Uh, so any, any, any employee, any contractor, even any volunteer, any intern can't be subject to a non-compete. There is an exception for Non, a non-compete that's entered into in connection with the seller of a business, but the only um, it would only be allowed non-competes would only be allowed for a seller that sells 
more than 25% of their business. So, so oh, that's interesting. That, that's a very key clarification. Yeah. And it, it's a little bit of a you know, arbitrary number. Suppose that this, uh, someone had a $250,000 company, and let's say there were two people, and you know, they each owned 50 50, and they sold this small business. And they each, since they each owned 50%, they could each be subject to non competes. But suppose, you know, five buddies from college start um, some credible technology company and that, that company is now worth a billion dollars and they each own 20% of it. So they're each getting 20 million, 200 million dollars in that transaction. None of them can be subject to knock a piece because none of them own more than 25% of it. Um, so which that's something that I think you know, a lot of us that are following this closely, we hope that maybe the FTC will take a closer look at that and kind of maybe take a different approach on that when it, if, if and when it issues a, a final rule. Um, but I think companies that are, you know, doing deals and doing transactions need to be mindful of, you know, if this is a deal where a significant part of the consideration that we're paying for is the seller is not a compete. And, and, you know, maybe it's a founder that now they only own 18%, but the company really doesn't want them, wouldn't want that minority seller out there competing. And the company just needs to be, needs to be mindful that this, uh, this ban is lurking and it could impact the deal that they're negotiating. That's an interesting perspective. I, I have been thinking about this from the employment standpoint. We, you, you uh, cornered that pretty early. Uh, but this could even impact the transaction market, the business transactions. I mean, from an investment and a purchasing of businesses pretty significantly. Absolutely. And it's something that um, I would think that the you know, the deal market is probably paying close attention to. Um, and, you know, companies, a deal that is you know, valued at X dollars when it includes a non-compete for some of the key people, um, you know, that, that deal may be valued at something less than that when you can't get the non-competes that you're um, looking for that are a key part of the sale. Um, you know, that would, deals will look a lot different if this uh, ban does end up going into effect. And I think it's something that folks that are involved in deals need to be, need to be thinking about now. Wow. Well, I, I'm certain this is the not la, not the last that we'll hear of this uh, this year, let alone in years to come. But Neil, thanks for joining us today, and of course, our listeners. If you'd like to learn more about IDS, please subscribe where you or you can visit idsinc.com or wherever you normally get your podcast. Again, thanks for joining us, and we look look forward to uh, talking again on our next edition of IDS Talks. Thanks so much for having me, Hunter. 